Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. This week, we talk to Dr. Tessa Hartman about life in the fashion industry, debate plastic surgery with Dawn Ward, and talk to Nicola Thorpe about why contraception is sexist. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Now, we've talked about plastic surgery before, uh, but our next guest is such an expert, she's actually got her own plastic surgery studio, Dawn Ward, welcome to the show. Hi. Welcome. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, Sculpt and how it came to be. What do you, what kind of plastic surgery do you do there? So we don't actually do plastic surgery. I actually promote non-surgical procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, so things, times have changed and you can do so much non-surgically now. Um, but I am still a little bit of a fan of plastic surgery if needed because there's some things that our clinic can't fix. So yeah. Fix is an interesting word. It is. What is wrong with them? Wrong with who? Well, wrong with people who apparently need to be fixed. <laughs> well, it's not about being fixed. Um, I'm a big a big believer that, you know, we're in the 21st century and, you know, 100 years ago you couldn't bleach your hair. Um, now we can, hence the reason I've got blonde hair instead of black. <laughs> uh, I'm a, and I'm a really big believer that, you know, in moderation... If you're very unhappy with something or it can be altered, for example, I've actually just gone, um, <clears throat> I'm 45 years old, I've always taken care of my skin, I've always drunk lots of water, but um, it's quite hereditary to have saggy eyelids and it really made me feel really conscious and self-conscious that I used to wear quite a lot of black makeup to try and cover it. I tried to have Botox to lift the eyebrow and I went under the knife. Well, the knife, it's like I had my eyelids, my skin removed on, the, on my eyelids um, a few months ago. And I can honestly say that I am so much happier. I've got four children and from Darby's 22, Taylor's 20, um, Charlie's 11 and Aston's 9. My eldest daughter was um, really conscious of her breasts and to the point where she felt really unconfident in a bikini that also has just happened to my 20 year old who lost a lot of weight um she gained a lot of weight because of back operation and lost the weight going in the gym eating healthy by the way you know doing it the healthy Mm -hmm. way 
and she was really, really conscious of her breasts because she'd lost all her breasts and she didn't feel comfortable in a bikini. And I got quite a lot of backlash um, on our show because I, I supported my elder girls to have a breast operation. And I'll tell you why I did that, because they're 22 and 20 and they're adults and can do what they want to do. I would much rather they put the faith in me, be open and say, look, I'm really uncomfortable with this situation. And as a family, we got to the right surgeon, Derby first, Taylor, very recently, only a few weeks ago. And, you know, they feel really body confident now. They train really hard. They eat very healthy. I'm not saying that it's all about having plastic surgery, everything in moderation. But there's some things that if you can if you can make yourself feel better or there's something that you don't like about yourself and you can change, I am a big believer. Now, so on the boobs specifically, just it, for me, it's their age. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I didn't come into boobs until my 30s. Mm-hmm. And now I really like them and their body's going to morph and change and doing it so young, they're going to need another um, set of surgery, what, in 10 years? No, not necessarily. I had my first breast implants mm-hmm. myself when I was 21. And have you ever had them changed or adapted? Are, you, are I had, they the same? Well, I'll tell you what happened. So I've always had an amazing breast. I was mm-hmm. really happy. I was very body confident. Mm-hmm. I had my first daughter. I was laying in bed one one uh, morning. Mm-hmm. My husband went, where's your boobs going? And I lifted them from under my armpit. Mm-hmm. And I did go al- along to the surgeon and said, you know, I was really, really proud of my breast previously. Mm-hmm. And when I had my, my first daughter, they completely changed. So I went along and I had my breast done. But the surgeon said to me at the time, you need to go, I'm not a big fan of big breasts, to be honest with you, mm. but naturally I had big breasts. So I didn't really listen to the surgeon and went for smaller ones. So a few years later, I had them redone and I've had mine 20, 21 years now. And so because you had them done so young, do you think it that's the reason why your daughter's thought no. this is the thing that I will do? My daughter was two when I had mine done so but it's it's, but it's, it's socialized no, to it being part so of the norm it's a completely different reason why my daughters had their breasts done in actual fact mm. not just why I had mine done my my eldest daughter had no breast and she felt quite uh, masculine what size was she an A she felt quite masculine she didn't feel feminine and that's the way she felt mm. I respected that and we got a great surgeon and she's so happy now and very body confident my other daughter had quite nice breasts. You know, she was really happy, didn't have a problem, mm. had a back operation, gained a lot of weight, went in the gym, at healthy for a couple of years, lost the weight, but unfortunately lost the breasts and felt really, really conscious about them. So both, all three of us had them done for different reasons. But it's actually the same reason, isn't it? It's the same reason, which is that we're putting a level of body confidence on things looking a certain way. And if they don't look that certain way, then we can't feel body confident. I would challenge you and say that actually, surely the kind of the ultimate result would be to feel body confident regardless what of what you look like well how can you be how can you feel body confident if you don't like the way something looks but you can change your mindset around it you can change how you feel about so it so let change, me just set the record you straight you appreciate me, what your body can me, do oh i'm i am super proud as a parent mm. that i have brought the strongest women i will put them in the room with anybody they are the most confident ladies that i it's the most proudest moment of my life and I cannot change their opinion about anything. They're very, very strong women. And they didn't feel confident about a certain part of their body. And I can honestly say that now, Darby had hers done a year ago. Everything else, she trains really hard, she eats healthy. But don't healthy. you think that's because society has given them one dimension of beauty? No one's told your daughter who had 
you know, A plus chest, that that could be accepted. Well, she's as not a doing it because anyone else is telling her. She's doing it because of what she sees. She doesn't like. Well, this is what, but she, what, what she's saying. seeing. She gets, she gets a one-dimensional view in the world because this is a challenge at the minute that we have with cosmetic enhancements, even the non-surgical ones. Is everybody change in time? Well, it's every twenty-first century. But everyone looks the same because you look at the. Nobody the, looks the same though. In the nineties, in the nineties, we're all four ladies the sat in this room, and none of us look the but same. But that's because three of us haven't had any plastic surgery. No, I have. Nine in yeah, the nineties. In the 90s. That, no, that's not because we're not a plastic surgery. That's totally wrong what you just said there. That is completely wrong. Come on, you're telling me if I hadn't, fi- hadn't had fillers and had, had my lip, if I'd had my well, you fillers might, might had my lips done. It might not necessarily be something that you you feel uncomfortable about or you necessarily need. Every single person is an individual. But they'd be looking and the I'm same. And I'm a big believer. No, we don't look the same because even my three daughters. Come on, me we and do. My daughters, but in the 90s, you can tell the look was, had their lips in the 90s. Listen, if everybody could look the same. In, were, in the 90s, everyone did because the fashion was massive boobs. How many women have we seen? Victoria mm-hmm. Beckham is one of them. She had big boobs. That was the look. That is a look that made everybody feel confident and good about themselves. She had hers removed because that isn't the world that she operates in now and she sees a different viewpoint. I actually don't think they were that big, to be fair. But, but that was the look, I mean, right? So if you and, I, and, I, and I think if um, plastic surgeons could make everybody look the same, they would be billionaires. Nobody can look the same. But there's everybody a is look. an individual. But there's a Everybody's look. an individual. And I'm a big believer that if you're going into plastic surgery because and you, you do your research, you get the right surgeon, and everything is in moderation, okay? I I actually promote non-surgical procedures, so but can I can set that record? surgery is moderation? Can I set, can can I set that record putting straight? Putting somebody under general anaesthetic mm-hmm. is moderation. Well, it depends not, on what surgery you're having, because my eyelids, I was under local anaesthetic, so... Okay, okay. but what's, what's the point when moderation flips into body dysmorphia? Yeah, that's when a different subject, but, when, but that's when, not what we're the, saying. What's we're the saying, flip? What's, what is moderate? Well, I think if you're trying to make yourself look a different person and trying to, you're trying to uh, mould uh, yourself on somebody else, mm. I do think there's an issue with that. But don't what you I'm we'd... saying is, what we've not got to do is just categorise the whole of plastic surgery, like my daughter's having the breast done, me having my eyelids done. That is not about me trying to morph myself into... And, being, and have the body dysmorphic. I'm very happy with who I am. Mm-hmm. I didn't like my eyelids. I've had them fixed. I feel fantastic. Mm-hmm. Look, But you didn't uh, like your boobs. You had them fixed. You felt fantastic. Then you didn't like your eyelids. So you had them fixed. Yeah, so, so you I've felt had two fantastic. Things. And do you know what? I'm sat here now. At one point, you had your lips fixed. And I'm sat here now feeling fantastic. And that's what that life's about. Everyone's an individual. And Until I think you don't again. Everybody. That isn't me, though, because it's about moderation. It's a different subject. Body dysmorphia, when you're trying to mold yourself into someone else. All I'm saying is, look, look. Are you t- have you ever had your hair dyed? Yeah, loads why of Why would you have colours. your hair dyed? Why change loads yourself? That's colours. not why you was born. It's the same thing. It's the 21st century and everything in moderation. And I feel, again, everyone should do the research and be totally, totally comfortable with what they're doing. But everyone's entitled to live the life how they want to live it, providing it's for the right reasons and you're not trying to go too far, then I'm all for it. But what, what, what are the right far? reasons for too me? Far. So I'm with you. So I think... So an, an MOT, as I call it, is fine. I've had underarm Botox for um, hyper, whatever, mm. hyperhidrosis. Yeah, sweating. Yeah. A bit of an MOT, I'm all down for. But yeah. there is a point where it goes, for me, too yes. far. Yes. Where there's a need to change the construct of your face. I 100% and agree the chin with that. And everything else. And I'm agreeing but with I don't you. know if people know what the difference is because they're looking at a visual of, but well... that's a different I can, scenario. But, I agree with you. And, and that's, <clears throat> that's what I'm trying yeah. to understand. What is that line when actually this this isn't okay? So people come into my clinic 
and they want. Well, you turn someone away. I've turned many people away. Okay. Because for me, everything's in moderation. Mm-hmm. If you have non-surgical, non-surgical procedures, or for me, even plastic surgery, in moderation, mm-hmm. very, very, very subtle. When you have something like that procedure done, or people come in my clinic, you should go away. Nobody knows what you've had done. You mm-hmm. think, God, you look fresh. I've had girls, young girls, come into my clinic, and they want three million in the lip. And they're going to go out looking like Dawn Dog. And we're like, you know what? That's not for us. We don't think that's the right way to be. And I totally agree with you. But we can't, I can't sit here and say that I disagree with plastic surgery. I don't... I think everybody in life has a choice to feel confident as in themselves. And people. some people go on diet. Some people don't care. Some people change the colour of the hair. We're in the 21st century. Some people have a little bit of filler in the lips. I've had my eyelids done. My kids have had their boobs done. But you know what? I will never, ever step away from that because my girls feel fabulous. They eat healthy. They train. They try and do everything the natural way. But there's some things that you can't change the natural way. What What happens if they didn't feel fabulous? Why would that not be okay? Why would it not be okay to be like, do you know what? It would be. It would be okay. It would. I wish I could change that, but I can't, and I'm just going to learn to live with it. Well, there's some things that you can't change. And I yeah. agree with you, but we're not. We're in the twenty first century, and if you can change something, it makes you feel better. I'm all for it. So your your argument is, if you can buy it, buy it because that's better than actually working on yourself and loving yourself as you are. Well, you can't work on yourself to make bigger boobs because you can't make them bigger. But I do believe that you should love yourself, and it's not about that. There's a diff, there's a very fine line. Like I said, everything in moderation. My girls are confident girls. They're sensible. We had a family conversation. We, we, you know, we got the best surgeons. They went through a number of procedures to make sure they were completely happy with what they did. They were, and for me, it worked. And that's all I can say today. And everyone should do the homework and take the time and don't rush into anything. But I do love my eyelids. <laughs> <laughs> Dawn, uh, thanks so much for coming to join us today. If people want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Um, here for, for where can they find me? Yeah, where can they find me, Dylan? Give us your social media. Handles. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, um, my social media, my Instagram is Dawnward Four, and my non-surgical clinic <laughs> is <laughs> at We Are Sculpt. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, coming up next, we are talking to the fabulous Dr. Tessa Hartman, one of the most successful female entrepreneurs in fashion. That's next on Badass Women's Hour XL. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. Now, our next guest has a CV for her services to fashion and textiles. We are delighted to welcome to the show Dr. Tessa Hartman. Ah, I don't know why I suddenly found that so hard. Dr. Tessa Hartman, (laughs) welcome. It's lovely to have you. Good evening, good evening. (laughs) Lovely to be here, ladies. So tell um, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the fashion industry. Oh gosh, Um, well uh, I came out of university and I got a job in America actually, an internship working with the Kennedy Foundation Um, and it was more events and things like that Um, and after a while uh, when I graduated they asked me to go for an interview in a company in London, they were giving their account to them. Um, so I got that job, kind of cut my teeth in what we call FMCG, you know. Um, but at night time, I was always, you know, um, enthused by fashion, by, you know, the history of fashion. You know, the fact that for me, fashion is a barometer of our cultural identity. You know, it's everything. It's bigger than what you read in a magazine. And so I kind of started doing kind of PR and things like that at night time on the side to get a few few pennies extra when you're at the start of your career um, and that's how I literally built it up um, and eventually I decided after about three years in London that I would go back to Glasgow and try and set up my own kind of fashion PR company 
Um, and so that's what I did. Um, and at the time, it was really interesting because in London, people specialised. So they were specialists mm. in fashion and mm. law and everything like that. In Scotland, that didn't exist. So a PR company, they did fashion and medical and law and whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? How can that work? Um, so I kind of pitched myself <laughs> as that kind of specialist. Um, and everyone said at the time, oh, there just isn't enough business in Scotland. It's not going to work. Um, but I hustled uh, and I'm still hustling. And uh, yeah, and it turned out OK. I, I love it, I have to say. Is Glasgow particularly quite a, a creative hotbed? I would have thought actually that because of the art colleges, the design up there, it feels like there is, that there would be an industry there for it, right? Phenomenal. Well, look, you know, I think for me, um, you know, fashion is retail, you know, yep. um, and it's about, you know, 25 years ago when I set up my business, Glasgow launched Glasgow Scotland with style, and it was to reinvigorate the city and to attract investment in big retailers and luxury brands. So it was kind of the right time. So I was very fortunate in that um, I launched a lot of luxury brands in Scotland from Louis Vuitton to Burberry to Armani to all these things. But um, there is a phenomenal art scene, a phenomenal music scene, and culturally, that for me, is fashion you know fashion isn't just what we wear it's the the music we listen to it's the style it's art it's painting it's all of that and Glasgow's thriving with that I also like to think that you know regionally people you know London is the epicenter of the world of fashion in terms of Britain I think people outside London have to kind of punch above their weight and try harder and try to do things spend more time at it um, and I think that's what Glaswegians do I think you know we, we you know we are um, workhorses and um, you know we like to show showcase our creativity and for me you know Scotland is a, is a hotbed of that particularly in the world of fashion with the art schools and yeah. all of that. How has the fashion industry changed over the past 25 years because you've seen yeah all the change you've seen this move to fast fashion to ethical fashion to online fashion. Mm. Well you know it's really interesting because um I can I cut my teeth with my VIP database and I worked really hard for years to do all these big parties and get all the right people going as you know how it is and the turning point came about six seven years ago when I was launching Burberry in Edinburgh um, and they came to me and I was you know quite confident about my list I knew I could get the right people to this party and suddenly they said actually Tessa we don't want your VIP list we want the most influential Instagrammers and social media followers and that was like wow. six seven years ago so my view at that point was, well, yes, that's fine. We can complement the list with, you know, an addition to, but, you know, your core customers and those VIPs, they should come to the event yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't their position. Um, and so almost it was a kind of turning point for me that I had to almost ignore this you know, wow. hugely influential yeah. database of, you know, people from not just Scotland, but all over the UK, that the world was now social and no one was caring about how much money you'd spent in a store. They were looking for people that could translate that message online. So for me, that's how it's changed in terms of a PR and a marketing perspective. And that's six, seven years ago. Um, so that was a kind of re-education, even at my stage, mm-hmm. to try and you know get with the team uh, and go with the flow I think you know fast fashion is is a big issue for us you know it's that kind of quandary and almost paradox and that everybody loves the clothes we want to wear superstars are wearing we'll buy the the cheap alternative which is fine and then we get upset because we realize they're being produced in Mm -hmm. India and China and they're not ethically done and there's no sustainability there so there's a huge amount of paradox in fashion um, of which we're all consumers guilty of falling into 
It's as you as you were talking. I, I was just rolling, having I have an existential crisis every week on this show. But I was just rolling <laughs> through, you know, all of the different issues that 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 come with, um, you know, fashion and and, and sustainable fashion. Yeah, anyone that's run a business for 25 years will have ups and downs and moments when they don't necessarily want to do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. What still gets you jumping out of bed in the morning? What keeps you committed to doing it? Do you know, I, I think um, I always said that uh, my business was my first baby. I have mm. four children. Um, I also think that we in Britain need to wear failure like our best shirt mm. that um, we're all you know we're so afraid of making mistakes and not doing well and having you know low periods and I can tell you I have had many many low periods uh, and many failures um, but I think I'm very fortunate enough to to love what I do mm-hmm. um, you know I take on a lot of young graduates and I'm a big believer that you have to a love your trade but learn and understand and cultivate your craft I think a lot of kids um, go into different things nowadays like even broadcast media and they don't put in the time and they expect things to happen super quickly and they don't really learn their trade Um, I spent a long time learning my trade I'm still learning my trade you know I read everything there is to you know to know in the world of fashion globally because we have to we have no choice right so I think if you can do something that you love and you accept that that is the nature of the journey you know you know it's not it's not the journey sorry it's not the destination it is the journey um I've had some great stories I've met some wonderful people and sometimes you know my kids will probably tell you mum's never without the phone and you know what that's true mm-hmm. and, and this whole ideology of that these power women can do it all and everything looks great it's absolute nonsense you know it's <laughs> absolute total and utter codswallop you know there are sacrifices to be made with your kids and your family every day of the week but then it's choice, you know, um, and I genuinely love what I do. And I love for me, um, I think the turning point when I got my CBE, which sometimes I still tap myself on the shoulder and think, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that. Um, for me, it's all about the nurturing of the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time working with a lot of young designers and giving them a showcase and platform to really show what they can do. Um, and that's why I think it's really important to to focus on the regions and give them the step that they don't have and the opportunities they don't have if they live in London. Um, so I think seeing that talent progress and watching these guys that I've given a helping hand to is just, that's just joy. You know, these are the next generation of creators and that for me is just wonderful. Are any of them household names that we'd know? Yes. Um, I mean, gosh, um, all Scott. Well, a lot of Scots, let's be honest. Uh, so we've got Christopher Keane, who mm-hmm. is phenomenal wow. now. Uh, we've got Holly Fulton. We've got mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan Saunders, who is now the creative director for Diane von Fussenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a young chap um, who's called Charles Jeffrey. Have you heard of him? Uh-huh. So he is a phenomenal talent. Um, And I actually gave him an internship. You know, I ran the Scottish Fashion Awards when he was 17. Mm -hmm. And um, his mother uh, was a secretary in a a company. And she came to my office and she said, you know, my son is, you know, he's not settling in at school and he's very artistic and he's a painter and he's sculpts and all of this. And could you have a chat with him? And uh, this this boy had just incredible talent. Uh, You know, jump forward a couple of years. He's at Central St. Martin's. He's the top of his class. He's now showcased at London Fashion Week. He, you know, he's won an award as Emerging Designer of the Year at the Fashion Awards. Um, he is eccentric. He is where art meets fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, he is a trailblazer. Um, you know, so kids like this, I think, are, are great. You know, what would you? Um, what's the kind of mood do you think in Scotland when it comes to kind of entrepreneurship at the moment, particularly given? 
the kind of recent uh, referendum vote for Scotland and then Brexit, do you think it feels like that as a country there is a sort of more of a move to get up and do things for yourself, particularly amongst young people? Do you know, I think we live in incredibly uncertain times mm-hmm. and, you know, there's so many political questions, as we know, that are unanswered and the independence one in Scotland is still very much there. Yeah. Um, I think that because of the uncertainty that that presented in the high street and a lot of brands that I was working with withdrew from the high street, they reallocated budgets from Scotland to Manchester to Leeds and whatever. And that that's a, you know, that was a real blow for the Scottish economy and a lot of mm-hmm. companies left. Um, so I think that a lot of kids um, coming into this world, uh, into the world of fashion, are kind of, you know, contemplating, is it even possible there? Mm. Um, you know, there aren't very many textile companies left. You know, we've got brands like Harris Tweed. We have some phenomenal weavers and um, tailors down in the borders. But it's a very difficult industry to get in. Um, I like to say to people, I think, you know, if you understand and learn your craft in Scotland at the fantastic institutions Edinburgh mm-hmm. College of Art, Garza School of Art there's nothing wrong and we shouldn't be ashamed of being Scottish and wanting to go to work in London or wanting yeah. to go to work in New York or wherever it is you, you know to get that level of education and experience because you know if you want to go to the centre of biochemistry you'll go where that is mm-hmm. just because you live somewhere else you're not, yeah. not going to do that um, so, but I think there is this kind of guilt-ridden um, inner psychology that, oh, you know, I should stay in Scotland. Whereas for me, you know, I'm trying to advocate that we we are global citizens. We need to go where the work is and um, and and try and you know achieve that. Yeah. We're talking to Dr. Tessa Hartman here on Badass Women's Hour XL. Still to come, we're going to hear more from Tessa. And before the end of the show, Coronation Street's Nicola Thorpe. And we t- joining us to talk about some controversial articles she's written recently from the cat amongst the pigeons. We love her for it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. With us right now, we have entrepreneur par excellence, a uh, leading light in the fashion industry, Dr. Tessa Hartman, CBE. Tessa, before the break, we were talking about kind of that entrepreneurial spirit in Scotland and also that 
you talked about which I thought was a fascinating idea this sort of Scottish guilt about leaving Scotland to go somewhere else and then back you have gone back to your kind of to your home and to your roots do you think it's important that for Scotland they have like role models out there in the rest of the world talking about the brilliant stuff they do and they've learnt yeah absolutely I think that was one of the reasons why um, I set up the Scottish Fashion Awards Mm -hmm. Um, working in London for all those years I kept meeting these amazing incredible Scots Um, and one of the things that British Vogue did brilliantly going back to the 90s they they cultivated this um, you know rule Britannia you know everyone was talking about his catchphrase brilliant you know and McQueen and all these people I remember that very famous you know it was phenomenal I mean just phenomenal but they gave their talent this incredible platform and so I was working in fashion and I met this guy called Albert Watson Scott living in New York has shot over 350 Vogue covers who knows about him no one knows about him <laughs> um, I you know I kept on meeting all these amazing people ranking the amazing fashion photographers Scottish yeah. um, and on and on and on people in merchandising people from March you know loads of brands and so I kind of just thought to myself oh what no, it's just Rankin is Scottish. I think part of the reason yes. that you don't know is because you don't hear it in their accents. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I guess when you you lose it. Well, he's lived here for so long. His mum was Scottish, yeah. So absolutely, right. you lose it. Um, but. It, you know, until so you get tired or have a drink, an and then it comes back out. Yeah, exactly, yeah, it does. Yeah. But that's not an excuse because you know we we honour people all over the world, but we keep all that very close to our chest. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Scots are really yeah. not very good at that. You know, it's classic. I, I was having this conversation in my office the other day. You know, when someone says to you, "Oh, that's a lovely top." Classic Scottish <laughs> answer is, "I got it in the sale." <laughs> <laughs> I got it so cheap; it was a great deal. <laughs> you know, instead of just going, "Oh, thanks very much," you know, it's just that kind of slight lack of confidence. Whereas you know, I've all, I've been fortunate enough to to do quite a bit of work in. America and it's the opposite there mm-hmm. my goodness you walk in there the can-do culture is just off the chart you come out of you know meetings and you genuinely think you can rule the world you know <laughs> I love that and that's what we need to have more of so so yes I think that um you know and the great thing about social media now is that we have that opportunity to spread the word that you know we're as I said earlier we're all global citizens and we should be flying that multicultural flag and and just shouting about it and sharing all our journeys I love it. Um, So going back to the entrepreneurial journey, what are the things that you want to achieve within the business now? Do you have a vision for the next 25 years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... um my children I was seeing during the break my, I've got four children and my um, my youngest is 12 so he's a few more years left of school and Johnny uh, who's 14 but the girls have left um, I, I run the business with my husband and he's very much the creative so he does music and production and animation and I do kind of PR and, and branding um, I think that's in many ways that's a problem because running the business as well we we never stop you know we waking up in the middle of the night with an idea and we're like going into the studio or whatever it is um and we are as hungry now as I think you know we were 25 years ago um so I think it's just about I think there are a lot of social issues I think I think we need to be a bit more responsible in our marketing um I think we have to talk to brands about sustainability I think we have to think about the environment I don't think it's just a question of a quick buck and uh, Mm -hmm. you know fast fashion I think you know we are uh, at a level of moral consciousness that 
we have to pass on to our children. It's almost that kind of moral duty to do that. And I think that everyone involved in the world of marketing and, and particularly fashion, when it's easy to take the quick, glamorous, aesthetical route, that we actually have to pull back and think, actually, where are we going to be? And, and also that domino effect, the little things that we do, um, particularly in fashion, how that you know resonates down the line to yeah. kids and doesn't have the results that we might have thought that it would have. So I think there's you know it's a big moral issue for me to kind of continue to build the business and work with brands mm. that I genuinely think I can make a difference to, that they can make a difference to the world. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate I'm working with a couple of brands that I'm really enjoying doing that with just now. And would you turn down work if? you didn't believe in the brief. So lots of money on the table. And we talk about this often, just running business. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Money on the table, yeah. but actually from a values perspective, there's no alignment. Uh, yeah, and we have done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are a boutique agency. We are not a big conglomerate with, you know, hundreds of staff. We've always kept the business small. And, and part of the reason for that was just so that we could actually manage our children and family life and a good business. Um Sometimes in the early years, you know, there, there are a couple of clients that I didn't turn down and, you know, we needed the money and that was fair enough. But now, um, absolutely, I um, you know, I take on projects that, that I really love and, and I'm really excited by what they're doing. And also, like I say to everyone, every day is a school day. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's always things to learn from people. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I think I think we have to do that now. And now your kid's going to take over the business. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the thing is, my girls uh, probably chastise me. I've had them working in PR and events and runners <laughs> since they were like 11. Yeah. Um, and so one of them is a singer and the other one is um, doing marketing social media for a finance company. But we kind of laugh because I've always had them work in every school holiday. I you know, I exploited them brutally. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that's great because now actually the older one, she said, you know, I don't actually realise how much I've learned because you can afford me into doing it and then she loved it and um she did lots of internships so experience is everything now um and i also think there's that big shift of you know this conversation that i have with girlfriends about college university or experience going to work you know mm-hmm. that's a big issue for a lot of people i think that whereas again 20 years ago it was all about having your degree and going down that route and i think that's completely changed now i think there's so many more incredible opportunities open for young people and and also fashion you know fashion is a huge area people think of fashion they think of catwalks and designers but the business of fashion you know it contributes something like 29 um billion to the uk economy but there's ancillary industries as part of that, 16 billion to the UK economy, merchandising, um, you know, visual design, you know, all of this, a huge business. And, and I think people need to understand that um, to make the most of it. What would you um, what would you say to 18 year old Tessa now if you were going back in time? What would you say to her now? I would say study coding. Yeah, coding's where it's at, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, the, the, the um, opportunity to be a... I'm not very good at maths. My husband's probably sitting listening, killing himself with this and saying that's never going to happen. Um, I had my brain, I had the capacity. I would love to be able to code, you know, the combination of that computer technology and coding and apps with creativity. I think that's where the future lies. Yeah, you know, it's infiltrating is. fashion as well, right? You get 3D printing. Mm-hmm. I know there's yes. 3D printing jewellery designers mm-hmm. and yeah, and like how fabrics are made now. And phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. phenomenal. There, there's an incredible young um, British designer designer that I honoured in another event actually earlier this year called Richard Quinn um, you might have read about him he he showcased at London Fashion Week and that was the show that the Queen came along to do you mm-hmm. remember that mm-hmm. it was all over the papers mm-hmm. well he specialised in um, uh, illustration and prints but he was sponsored by Epsom so he actually designed a lot of his print designs on their big 
printers right. you know so there's there's all that technology now emerging mm-hmm. which i think is just incredible for these they are artists essentially aren't they do you think the british fashion industry is going to change post brexit do you think it's going to well do you think it's going to give it a bit of enthusiasm and enlivenment or do you think we're going to have to fight harder for our space do you know, I, I think the generic answer is that British fashion industry would argue that they are not a big fan of Brexit, you yeah. know, that there's no secret to that. Um, being the optimist, my view is it almost doesn't matter what way I'm swinging politically, it is what it is now. Yeah. Um, and so I think there is no harm in working harder, uh, punching above your weight, being more competitive with your pricing, your distribution, thinking more of the consumer at the end of the day. Um you know that I think there's lots of lots of ways they're going to have to really tackle that, um, and they're just going to have to go on with it. But the flip side, though, is unrest is good for fashion, and I say and for culture across the board because that's what sparks creativity. Actually, when things are quite boring and quite mainstream, it's reflected in the clothes. And actually, having volatility yeah. and a message to campaign against or for or just people saying, do you know what? The system is so meh, I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. That's, I think, when we see exciting designers and Absolutely, artists and creatives yeah. come through. Yeah, and you can look at that through the ages. I mean, look, remember Catherine Hamnett, mm-hmm. you know, in her slogan T-shirts, you know, yeah. that was a kind of, you know, a political statement in fashion. Vivian Westwood's mm-hmm. brilliant at that. Yeah. You know, all these brands are, are making political statements, you know, and we're being forced into... Uh, messaging in mm-hmm. fashion now um, which I think is really important but also we are forced into that because the consumers are demanding it you know mm-hmm. consumers I think one of the biggest problems of fashion is that they underestimated the intelligence of the consumer mm-hmm. now with social media we are seeing that consumers are savvy their their expectations are higher their ex- their expectations of customer service are higher um, they are uh, you know they they can get online and share that experience which we didn't have to do so people are being forced to work harder which I think is is good you know in terms of the service that you get at the end of the day and fashion is a big part of that you know if you look at um Theresa May my goodness that poor woman what she's had to endure whether you love her or loathe her um but would they analyze a man's shoes mm, and his no. color of his tie no. mm-hmm. it, it just wouldn't happen I mean it's just it's, it's incomprehensible mm-hmm. to me how still chauvinism in the world of politics and we related to fashion and there she's got her shoes da, 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 you're like on a minute here you know this is not a level playing field or analyze mm. a woman carrying a handbag yes yeah. you know and now it's really it's handbagging and ev- i mean it's yeah. just it's it, it's absurd yeah. and it's kind of depressing in many ways mm. that that kind of attitude is still prevalent out there mm. in society but you know i just don't think that's ever going to go so we can either moan about it or we can go for a horse and actually punch it where it needs to go and keep producing these women that shows them how it's done Beautiful. Dr. Tessa Hartman, thank you so much for joining us here on Badass Women's RXL. It's been lovely chatting to thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, coming up, we are going to be talking to Nicola Thorpe, Coronation Street actress and equality campaigner. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Now, have you ever thought that the contraceptive industry could be sexist? I know it seems strange to say that because obviously, thanks to the pill, we've gained more women's equal rights. But our next guest says that actually it's just not a fair playing field out there. And in fact, women are being, well, I was going to say the term that I think is probably not okay for <laughs> this time. Like, women, are, women are losing out. They're losing out when it comes to contraception. And Nicola Thorpe, Coronation Street star and a fantastic quality campaigner. 
tell us what you mean by the idea that contraception is sexist. So obviously the the methods themselves aren't sexist because they can only be used by females. But the idea that the industry itself is only targeting these uh, pills or IUDs, devices at women, it's the whole kind of culture behind it that is sexist because there isn't the same options. There just aren't the same options for men. They do exist, but they haven't been rolled out because uh, pharmaceutical companies and investors don't deem them to be, um, that they just don't think that they would catch on. They don't think that men would use them. So some people say that the, the reality is that ultimately the reason we have contraception is because it is women who don't want to get pregnant and we are going to have to carry the child and most of us sure. are then going to end up literally holding the baby. Mm-hmm. Um so it seems like that's why there's more emphasis because we're the ones that say no we don't want the children so we have to then take responsibility yeah totally of course and women should and will uh, take responsibility for their own bodies but also i don't think we're asking the question enough of what about men and men's like men's rights when it comes to that kind of thing because at the end of the day you know um obviously there should be a lot of trust in sexual relationships it doesn't always happen (laughs) um but men are putting their trust in a woman who is taking the pill, for example. And wouldn't it be nice to give men some control over their, not their bodies, obviously, because they wouldn't be going on to give birth, but control over their ability to father a child? Yeah, because this is what's, I'm right with you, this is what's um, fascinated me. I I read this article a few years ago, um, and it was like, men are fertile all the time, for a long time. Women, we are only fertile for 36 hours a month. <laughs> and I didn't even really know that. I didn't even really know my body until I, start, until I started using the Natural Cycles app. Mm. And you start to track. And now I'm even more mystified as to why I was on the pill, why I had a coil fitted for mm. so long, when actually now I know exactly when I'm fertile. But guys are fertile all the time. And you're right. Mm. Where where are the, con- the range of um, birth control that we have as women for our 36 hours of fertility mm. for the men who are fertile all the time all the time there's damn sperm they just live for so exactly. long in the, in and the they, womb. And also they're not only they're not that sperm lasts for five freaking days so on my natural cycles app i'm i can't have unprotected sex six days before ovulation because of the sperm not because of me and there's millions of them you've only got one exactly. egg like this is really unfair exactly. we've got all these different versions of awful contraception for women i'm really wound up now yeah <laughs> Just to protect one little leg a month. And there's millions of sperm out there that need to be, you know, controlled. Exactly. But you're saying there is stuff in the pipeline. Yeah, Yeah, I've... I've... Because I've only heard of the male pill. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, so there was a male pill. Do they have a coil? (laughs) No, there's no no coil. There was kind of, um, at one point, like a reversible kind of vasectomy thing, but that was a little bit... Oh, I remember. Yeah, it was like sellotape round Yeah, they could sort of turn it it? on and off. And it's, it's, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, But there was... There has been a pill developed. I've I've met with and worked with a doctor um, a couple of years ago because I'm fascinated by contraception. It is literally life or death, or not life, but life but not life. Mm-hmm. And um, he had developed this pill that was non-hormonal. And I won't go into too much detail about the penis, but mm-hmm. it basically stops the muscle that releases sperm into semen. So you would take it before sex. It was like Botox. Yes. <laughs> Quite similar. Botox for the penis. Can we say, I'm assuming we can say penis. You don't have like a limit on penises. No. Okay. Um, so it would, um, yeah, immobilize this muscle that releases the sperm into the semen. So you take the pill before you have sex and it lasts for a certain amount of hours. But the doctor had got it down to 
um, during his trial phases, taking it for hours before sex. I don't know four hours before I'm having sex. Like, absolutely <laughs> Who not. Who knows what's going to happen on a Saturday Nobody night? Knows. This is why like, I shave my legs every day, just in case. But um, he had to develop it to, so that you would take it within around about half an hour to 15 minutes beforehand. And in order to get the funding for that, um, he approached investors and they went, no, not interested. And that would have been yeah. something that was, you know, non-hormonal, something very easily could be taken by men, both in long-term relationships and men who were having one-night stands, etc. But I spoke to a lot of male friends about it and it was really interesting and they went, ooh, you know, but would, would the women trust the men for having taken it? And I went, well, you trust us for yeah. taking the pill yeah. mm -hmm. and there has to be a mutual trust and also we both need to have the options in order to trust each other mm -hmm. and to protect ourselves yeah. yeah and also oh god that's, that seems really bizarre to me would men trust the women hmm. do you why do you think men are sort of uninterested in this issue because I mean, there's a fantastic u.s comedian whose name i will look up because i'm going to plagiarize her joke in a minute um <laughs> But she sort of says, you know, men are so kind of completely uninterested in contraception. It's as though they don't know sex equals babies. Yeah. They just think having <laughs> sex might, the biggest risk from having sex is that you might get a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> um, so true. <laughs> we're so removed from sex equals babies. You know, the, the pornography industry, mm. it, it ne you never come back to like, oh, nine months later. Mm. You know, it's, it, sex is sex because women have taken, we've taken the brunt of the responsibility for everything that goes on after that um but i i think it is a societal thing men have just never had but to it doesn't really think. impact on them right if you if you no. have a one night stand guy and a girl for instance that girl gets pregnant that we have a culture where guys it's kind of acceptable for them mm. to not be the sole um parent to sure. basically maybe i'll just throw some money i might throw some money if i'm lucky so mm. really how much is your life being impacted it might be inconvenient mm. because your one night stand got pregnant and you weren't really planning that sure. it's not really affecting your life whereas a woman that is a whole another show. Absolutely, it's completely life-changing. But even in these examples that we're talking about, we're talking about things like one-night stands, casual sex. The majority, I mean, I don't have the facts, but I'm guessing that the majority of people who are having sex are actually in long-term relationships. I don't know, a lot of my long-term relationship <laughs> friends would say no, but yeah. <laughs> but especially you know the what married I mean. ones. Yeah. Especially <laughs> the married ones. However, it, it's those people that I'm thinking about because really if you're having casual sex and teenagers having sex, um, it, condoms are you the... Should be you should be using condoms, yeah. condoms for STIs and, and all that kind of thing. But when you think about sexual health clinics, you think about young people, teenagers, mm. early 20s, but what about women who are in long-term, stable, monogamous relationships? It's those women that have to make that choice. And surely in that situation, the man is gonna have just as much of an impact long-term because he's gonna be a father to, to a child. So who got it right? Because I'm sure a huge part of the women's lib movement in the 60s, 70s, 60s was about having contraception and mm. being free from having to have children. Yeah. And now we're almost saying, oh, but the consequence of that is that my hormones are completely messed yeah. up and I felt depressed all of my life or subdued all my life and mm. I've never really realized why. And so yeah, at the time it was a good thing and sometimes time, time when you put a spotlight on something you can see just how 
bad it might be. But yeah. who, who's right? Who's right? Who's wrong? Exactly. And I can understand the kind of the joy of being a woman in that period of time, mm. especially, you know, the swinging 60s, etc. Mm. Um, the joy of having protection against con- uh, against conception. But the dosages that women were being given for the pill back then mm. would be was so much higher. I can't remember, was it 400% higher, something like that? It was all trial period stuff. Um, And what it was doing to their bodies then was so awful, so terrible. And I'm sure many women would go, oh no, I was was on the pill in the 60s and I was fine. Mm -hmm. But we all have a friend or all of us in this room that have had a terrible experience on the pill. And the the dosages that we're being given nowadays are lower than they ever have been. But still... I don't know if you know this, but the female, some of the hormones used in the female pill um, have actually shown up in traces of water, tap mm, water. Yes, mm. I don't drink tap water mm. for that very reason. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But some people would say, you know, it is, it's an imperfect system, mm. but it is still a system that gives women control over their bodies. Absolutely. I'm not denying that whatsoever, but that's not the point when we stop in my eyes, you know. Um, you know, we've got a female fr- uh, prime minister, therefore, you know, everything's equal we, we need to keep on pushing <laughs> yeah. forward and it's actually it's not as good as you might think because in the UK only one in two births are planned oh really yes Is that high wow. as well? yeah one in two births are planned in the UK and um that is obviously a much higher percentage than that are also unplanned but abortions etc bring bring the, the number down um and we have free free access to contraception in this country. And yet still. People, what are you doing with your time? It's coming up to Christmas. It's sperm, Harry. It's <laughs> when we all get it's a little fault. bit. Well, it's when the sperm and sperm owners get a little bit. Frisky. Frisky on the Christmas parties. And nobody's thinking about it. It is, you know, there's like a bump. You know, there's a bump in babies born around September time because everyone's had having too much for good time. I'm 30th of September. <laughs> I know yeah. what my parents are doing on New Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, two, three, four. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 